0: Hello, and welcome to The Shining Light, where we are shining the light of the gospel and speaking the truth in love, providing strength, and stirring the hearts of our listeners. We are so glad to have you joining us today as you listen to this message from Pastor Tim Cruz. How many of you can say, this is my story and this is my song? I have a testimony of God changing my life by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad we all have a story, aren't you? A testimony. We ought to mark the milestones along the way and uh, take note of who God is and what God has done in each of our lives. This has been a few weeks of anniversaries here. Uh, Rebecca and I marked our 36th wedding anniversary recently and then I marked my 42nd preaching anniversary by God's grace. And then last Sunday, our 33rd church anniversary, serving the Lord together here at Shining Light. Now think about going back and just being reminded of what God has done, where the Lord has brought us from, how faithful he's been. You need to mark the faithfulness of God in your life. And you need to rehearse that time and again because sometimes when the clouds are dark and when the spirits are low, God quickens us and God gives us strength when we just go back and remember the days of old and who God is and what God has done. Hasn't God been good in your life? Hasn't God been faithful? We know he has. And with that in mind, I want you to take your Bibles and stand with me as we read Proverbs chapter three, verses one through six. Proverbs chapter three, verses one through six. In remembering... My preaching anniversary 42 years ago, this is the text that I preached from. And I want to rehearse some things before you this morning that are practical truths that I know God wants us to not only have in our heads as an understanding, uh, but in our hearts as a commitment. And uh, let's read this together. And uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Let's read it aloud. My son, forget not my law... But let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. You may be seated. My children get excited on Selection Sunday for March Madness. Any Madness fans here today? Anyone? All right. How many of you are excited about it? Every year, we print off the brackets and uh, we sit down at the table, and we, with great understanding, insight, and, and great knowledge of every team and every record and how they're going to do, we intelligently select the winner of each contest, right? And, uh, and then we are very close to picking the national champion. Now, I know you don't believe that because that's not true. How many of you know it's impossible to figure this thing out, right? I don't know this team. I'm going to guess here. I'm going to guess there. We guess and guess and guess. And I remember years ago, Victoria was just so young at the time, and she filled out her bracket, and she got closer than any of us. And I'm telling you, she was all excited about that, proud of it. We were proud of her. And so, But I thought about that. It's Election Sunday, March Madness, a time... Uh, for basketball and tournaments and and excitement, and I love it. I I get excited about it as well. But I thought about it. In my day, uh, there was a basketball player that I believe and many still believe is the greatest to ever play the game. And uh, there are certain debates with some, but I just want to let you know right now there is really no debate, all right? There's a young boy who was cut from the varsity basketball team in Wilmington, North Carolina, years ago. Anybody ever heard of that, his story? Now, think about it. Now, he didn't make the varsity basketball team, and uh, it was not something that he sulked over. It was not something that he whined about. His own mother did not complain to the school or the coach or uh, just uh, tell him that he needed to transfer or even just uh, step aside from uh, any kind of effort there, here's what she said, and I quote, he said that my mother told me, get in the gym and work harder. She was saying, take responsibility for your own action, do what's right, and do your best, no excuses. And now he's the greatest basketball player of all time. You see? I'm preaching this morning a message entitled, Take Responsibility for Your Own Actions. Take responsibility for your own actions. It's your life. It's your choices. But just like in athletics, there are some things that we should and should not do if we're going to be all that God wants us to be. There are certain disciplines that God wants us to implement into our lives. And God wants us to understand the words of the wise according to chapter 1 and verse 6. Now think with me here and let's look together back in chapter 3 in Proverbs and verse 1. I think it's interesting. There's a, an outline that God gives us here in his word that's alliterated and uh, it's found, the first one is in verse 3 where it says, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Make a note of that. And you're listening, God. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. God is giving instruction from a father to the son about what's wise, what's important, what you should and should not do. And so he says in verse 1, my son, that's a relationship that God has given. It's a God-given relationship. Forget not. Think about that. Forget not my law. There's a relationship here. There's a rule of law. There are certain laws that govern life. Now, we can think, we can ignore them, we can rewrite them, but we can't. There are certain rules that God has established that governs all of life. There's a relationship, there's a rule of law. Forget not my law, it's the law of God, but let thine heart keep my commandments. That's the right response, the right response. He says, now, don't forget what I'm teaching you, it's the very law of God. And I want you to, from your heart, keep, accept, embrace, and obey what God says. Do what he expects. Because you're going to be held accountable to God one of these days. You are responsible before God for your own actions, for the choices you make. Where we err in life is when we get more concerned about other people's choices than our own. And we have to realize that it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Lord, I need to humble myself. I need to make sure that I'm embracing, fully obeying what you have given me to do in your word. Because here's what God says is the byproduct, blessing, and benefit. Verse 2, for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Do you see that? God is talking about the blessed life. The obedient life, the life that has the favor of God upon it, is a life that has a length of days. It's not only the quantity, but it's also the quality of life. It's a long life, and it's a life of peace. There's a lot of people who live many days, but they lack peace. There's some people that don't live, sometimes it seems, A lot of days they may face some kind of challenge or disease or difficulty, tragedy in life, but they live a life of peace. It's not just about living a long life. It's about actually living the life God gives you. And to really live is to have the peace of God. And the peace of God comes as a result of obeying God's word. Knowing God, walking with God, honoring God, having communion with God. Now I'm telling you, there is no way that any of us will take a step further or forward in our lives if we don't just simply embrace anew the fact that I've got to keep my eyes on the Lord and rejoice in him when so many other challenges of life come my way that make it very difficult for me to rejoice at all. I can rejoice in the Lord. I have to open my heart to Him and see what He said. Be reminded of this. Don't leave this out. Don't miss it. He says, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Mercy is the word for kindness here. It's a word for benevolence. It's a word for generosity. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. God wants us to live a kind of life that honors him and blesses others. When we bless others, God blesses us. This is what he's saying. He says, bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. One writer said, the son here is encouraged never to let kindness or mercy and truth leave him. Indeed, he is told to bind these virtues around his neck like a necklace and to write them upon the tablet of his heart, a reflection of the teaching of the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 6 that the Lord gave to Moses to give to the people to where they were commanded to keep God's word on their heart and to bind them upon their hand, even their forehead. By doing so, he was making these virtues a permanent part of his inward character. But what exactly are these virtues? Mercy or kindness refers to loyalty and covenant love. Truth involves faithfulness, truthfulness, integrity. Together they speak of loving faithfulness. This is the kind of lifestyle that will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Those who are lovingly loyal to God and man are well-regarded by both. A lot of times we get caught up in wondering where we stand with others and who is approving or accepting or all those things that if we're not careful can be driven by things in our hearts and lives that are unresolved, fear, insecurity, bad experiences. The Bible warns us against measuring ourselves among ourselves. God cautions us. He said, when we do that, that's not wise. When we try to look at someone else and determine what we think about them, versus what God really knows about them, then we can err, and we've got to be reminded of that. We can put ourselves in the place of God and not even realize what we're doing. So he's talking about being in favor with God and man. If you are in favor with God, you see, if you are in favor with God and you'll seek that first and foremost, you will find favor with those who know God and have a true heart for God. You see? Rather than starting with man and saying, well, how can I gain favor with someone? How can I kind of assert myself or how can I maybe connect myself? How how can I make this happen? Well, we don't start there. We start with the Lord. Lord, am I pleasing to you? Because I want to find favor with God. That's what I've been praying uh, for all these years, but even of late. Of late, Lord, give us wisdom in all the things that are before us, but give us favor. I remember someone being asked about the blessing of God upon his life and he said, I'm thankful for the favor of God. Would you say, as you understand it, we all have room for more understanding, but would you say, as best I know, I have the favor of God upon my life. God is pleased with me. God is smiling upon me. Now that doesn't mean I'm perfect, doesn't mean I've arrived, doesn't mean I... I do not have room for improvement, but it does mean that God knowing my heart means that God sees a devotion there, a loyalty there, a genuineness there that says, Lord, teach me. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Lord, correct me where I need correcting. You're my heavenly Father. You see in my heart what I don't see at all, so teach me, Lord. See, he said, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Embrace this. Let it become a part of who you are. The loving, loyal, devoted, faithful, truthfulness of God radiating through your life from your heart to God and from your heart to others. From God's heart through you to others. That's what God wants us to see. So he says this, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them upon thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Let me ask you, what have you written upon the tablet of your heart this past week? What is written there? What is inscribed? What is being engraved? Something that you'll always reference, something you'll always go back to. We're writing something every day. We're recording something every day. No wonder the Bible says we should renew our hearts and our minds before God. We should be someone that says, Lord, I want a life that is pleasing to you and I'm willing to embrace a discipline of knowing what to record and what to reject. God wants us to see the value and the wisdom of such. And he says there in verse four, so shalt thou find favor and good understanding of the sight of God and man. Number one, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Number two, Look in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. He will clear your way, he will make your path straight. Now, he's warning his son here, the father to the son, the heart and the wisdom of God to us, even as his children, illustrated here, is saying, Now be careful. Going the path of folly, of foolishness, leaving God out, doing your own thing, uh, leaving off this matter of mercy and truth, being true, as it were, only to yourself and not even to God, much less others. That is a philosophy that the world is perpetuating today, and it doesn't start with my heart, which is desperately wicked. I can't even altogether know it the Bible says, but it starts with the heart of God that he is revealed to us here in his word. We can know who God is and what God says. We can know his heart. I want to conform to the heart of God. If I get the heart of God in my heart and in my mind, then everything else uh, flows from there. It all comes out of that. He says, lean not to thine own understanding. You know, when I look at verse 5, I think of this word heart. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, wholeheartedness, an upright heart. The Bible uses the word perfect. The word perfect literally means just simply one that is sincere, it is upright. As best it knows, there is not something knowingly, willingly being held back on the Lord. Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my all. So, there's a trust here placed in the Lord, in His Word, in His heart, in His mind, in His benevolence. Such trust completely believes what God says, including accepting His words of wisdom while rejecting the way of folly, obeying His commands, embracing His promises. Trust also involves resting secure in God's loving, protective care and relying completely on His resources. God will take care of his own. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. The trusting one acknowledges his or her own lack of resources. Where we come up short, then as we do that, we become open to God's power and wisdom, which is a better guide to life. Lord, I don't have it all figured out. I don't even have the wherewithal to take care of everything that I need taken care of in my life, but I know you do. So I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to lean on you, your understanding, the truth of your word. I will embrace fully what you say. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, verse six. To acknowledge God is to know him personally and to be in fellowship with him. Lord, I know you and I'm devoted to you. To acknowledge God is to seek Him first. The Bible says if we will seek Him first and His righteousness, then all these things shall be what? Added unto us. We oftentimes seek the Lord for things when we should seek the Lord. And if we would come in line with the Lord and commune with Him and worship Him and fellowship with Him to walk with the Lord in our hearts, then those things would follow. They are the byproduct. Uh, They're not the goal. They're the byproduct of the Christian life, the faithful life, the faith-filled life. Someone who is seeking God first, who acknowledges his or her own shortcomings, insufficiencies, and says, Lord, where I come up short, I know that you are able to make up the difference. Where I'm insufficient, you are all sufficient, so I rest in that. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Oh, it's so important we don't lean to our own understanding because sometimes what we're seeing is not so. We're reminded of the story of just uh, Robert Kennedy and the flight that he was in. He was learning to to fly a plane. It was John F. Kennedy's son. And so was it Junior? So it was Junior, the son. And he was trying to learn how to fly an airplane and had learned to fly it by sight, but had not learned to fly it yet by the instrument panel. And they said that when he crashed that airplane, and that's how he died years ago, he was flying, and when you fly by sight, You uh, are, you know, just everything that you can see, everything that you can perceive, then uh, that's what makes the difference. You're seeing what you are seeing, you think, and then you're able to navigate the aircraft at a lower altitude. But there is an altitude that you reach that affects your equilibrium and it affects your sight. And so at a certain altitude, you're at a place to where What you think you're seeing, you're not. And if you're seeing something that is not and adjusting to what you're seeing because your balance is off, it can get you really uh, turned aside so much to the point to where you think the horizon goes this way, but it goes more the other way. And then the next thing you know, what's happening there? What's going on? Well, what's happening is you are in what they call, before you know it, a death tuck. You've tilted so far thinking that this is the way you've got to tilt for the horizon when it's the opposite way, and then you're so tilted that you can't recover, you can't bring it out of that, and then you just spiral down. Now, I want to tell you, there's some things we think we're seeing something. This is what's going on here. This is what this is. We would do well rather than leaning to our own understanding. Get in the instrument panel of God's word and say, Lord, help me to see this as you see it. Show me what this is, Lord, starting with my own heart and mind. Do you see that? Some of us, if we're not careful, we've been flying solo for so long, we think we've got it. We don't need to read the Bible. We got it all figured out. We know what's going on. We know... uh, who people are and why people do what they do. We know all that. I want to tell you, you're going to get yourself in such an entanglement. You're going to get yourself in such a way to where the Lord only knows the toll that that's going to take or the crash that's going to come in your life. And all of that could have been averted had you got in the Word of God. And you could have just simply got God's bearings on the thing. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him. How do you acknowledge the Lord? You look to the Lord. You lean on the Lord. You trust His word in the matter. This is what I see or what I think or how I feel about it, Lord. But yet I'm willing to go to the word of God and I'm gonna say, Lord, but how do you see it? What do you say about it? How do you feel about it, God? What is your mind in the matter? And if what you say is not what I say, I'm willing to forsake my thoughts. And embrace yours. That's what it comes to. That's the life of wisdom. That's the life of blessing. That's the life that's taking responsibility for his or her own actions. Because when you act, an action is a result of a decision. And a decision is a result of a deliberation. All right, let me assess this. Let me figure this I'm going to think this through. All right, this is what I think the deal is. This is what I think I should do. Then I'm going to act upon it. Well, you're accountable for those actions. The wise thing to do in that deliberation is to look to God and the instrument panel of his word and say, Lord, teach me. Speak to me, Lord. Show me what I need to see. Oh, how powerful this is. Look at this. Now, I'm not going to finish this today. I'm just going to give you one more. How's that? All right? You say, wow, this is more than points than he normally has on Sunday morning. All right, this is the third. We'll get four, five, and six tonight and a bonus point as well. All right? And that is true. I do have a bonus point. All right? Let's look over in chapter six. And I close. Proverbs chapter six. Now this is powerful. Again, God is warning his people as an illustration. David to Solomon, Solomon to his son. I'm teaching you wisdom. I'm teaching the way of blessing. I'm teaching you what God wants for your life. I want you to see this. Foolishness is bound in the heart of man and and he's warning against following your own heart or the heart of others who don't have a heart for God and are not following the heart of God revealed through his word. He's talking about the one who ignores God even in verse 15 of chapter 6. It says, Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. God then begins to list some things that he detests, things that dishonor God, that divide and destroy his people, pride and dishonesty and all these things. I thought it interesting, as one noted, troublemakers usually end up bringing troubles on themselves is what we learn from this verse. The tumult he unleashes inevitably results in his own calamity, which will be sudden, Abrupt, instant, irreversible. He sows to the wind and reaps the whirlwind in which he ends up broken himself. It's so important to be reminded that we reap what we sow. I'm telling you, those are laws that are unchanging. It's the law of God. We're going to reap what we sow. And if we've sown something to the wind, the sooner we recognize that and repent of it, the better. Because God is warning him all throughout here, now this is what God accepts, this is what God rejects. This is what God wants, this is what God doesn't want in your life. This is what will lead to blessing, this is what will lead to destruction in your life. And so as he unfolds this, he says in verse 20, My son, keep thy father's commandment, forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart. Bind them, join them together God's heart united with yours through embracing the teaching of his word. Tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Corrections. By the way, isn't that what you do when you're driving down the road? What are you doing here? You're, You're correcting The steering wheel, all the way. Because if you leave it alone, it'll go this way. Or so it's like, oh, all right, no, no, no. So you're correcting that. Correction is the way of life. Receive the Lord's instruction. Receive His correction. Don't think you've ever arrived and are above being teachable. The greatest athletes I've heard—they've said this themselves. They are the most teachable. They want to reach their potential. They want to rise above. They want a coach to really get on them in the sense of bringing the best out of them. Whatever it takes for me to reach my potential, that's what I want. I've heard athletes say that more than once. But he says here, these commandments, these reproofs, these corrections and instructions are are given in verse 24 to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of the strange woman. A strange woman is a woman that doesn't belong to you. She belongs to someone else. Lust not, write that down, number three here, lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. The precious life. I want you to underline that. The word precious here literally means valuable. Shining or radiant. In other words, it's a life that's been invested in. It's a life that's been taught. It's a life that's been given an opportunity to accomplish something worthwhile that not everyone gets. There are some people that don't care about anyone else. Other than themselves, who they are, what God has done for them, what others have invested in them and taught them and how they've helped them. They don't care. He says, now be careful, be mindful of that. Don't be gullible and naive. Remember when it came to Potiphar's wife? She didn't care about Joseph that God had placed him there, that God had his hand upon his life, that God was going to use him during the great famine, not only for her and her family, but for everyone there in Egypt and even the world beyond? She had no concern or care about his future wife or his children. You understand? Or that God was going to use him to birth his nation, his people there? She didn't care. That's what he's saying. There are those that have no value to their lives and they have no value to your life. Watch them. You would be just something no more than a conquest for them. To take you down would for a time lift them up in their heart. He says, now you better be careful about this. I'm warning you. He says, these truths that I'm giving you, they'll help give you parameters to protect you. Certain lines you know that you cannot cross. If you'll study the context here, he's talking about... Uh, this realm of prostitution but he's also talking around this realm of adultery and it unfolds here and he's going to talk about this thing Uh, prostitution can be just an exchange even like uh, bread itself and, and it's something that's an exchange and then you move on and as sinful and as wrong as that is he said I'm also warning you this that if you take it a step further and get entangled with a married woman you cannot imagine the sorrows that are going to come into your life. Let him that hath ears to hear, hear the word of the Lord. He said, now watch this. Your life is valuable to God. God is invested in you. Others have invested in you, taught you, believed in you, helped you. Be careful that you... Don't come to a place to where you kind of allow the adversary to talk it down. You've heard me say this many times. That's his strategy. He talks down where you're at and what God has done for you so he can talk you out of it. And by the way, your life and every other situation you'll find yourself in is going to be filled with his own challenges, its own faults, and imperfections. The adversary will magnify those to you as though they're insurmountable to the point to where you just begin to lose heart and devalue what God has done for you. To the point where, he, if He can talk you talk it down to you, He can talk you out of it. I don't need this. Now, be careful. That's the warning. This is what God is saying. Given the pressing danger. The adulteress represents the father, explicitly states this warning do not let her capture you with her eyelids so that you are tempted to lust after her beauty. At that time, the eyes were considered here in this context, in these Bible days, the eyes were considered one of the most beautiful and captivating parts of a woman. She can seduce with words or by nonverbal means. To covet or desire her beauty in your heart directly violates the 10th commandment not to covet one's neighbor's wife. Sin and death begin with the inordinate desires of the heart, the deliberations of the heart. And when it's conceived, it brings forth death. God wants us to be mindful of this. and he gives us this warning. I don't know where you're at and what you're facing today. I don't know where you've been. I know we're living a day to where it's like anything goes, and that's not just affected our world. That's affected our churches. And God's commandments are not grievous. They're actually for our good, for our protection. You see that? And sometimes in our weariness and our disillusion, that's where we can get caught up and it's like, whoa, I wasn't thinking. I remember a pastor talking to one of the men in this church who had stepped aside from the Lord. And he said, what were you thinking? He said, I don't know, pastor. I really don't. My, my mind was so clouded. He said, I had just left out God and his word in my life and my mind just became consumed with things that were contrary to what God wanted. He said, I wasn't thinking. That's why it's so important to think of what God says. I read where one said, people have not walked in your shoes. They have a hard time oftentimes understanding your steps. They see where you trip, but are blind to the way you get back up and keep walking. They judge the pace and feel you should be further along than you are, but fail to see how many times you stop to pick up someone else." or sat alone to shed tears over those who turned back. The truth is, those people have taken their eyes off of their own path, oftentimes, to criticize yours. No one stops in a race to commentate on another's if they're serious about running the race God has given them. Oftentimes, they've given up on the course that they should be running and are trying to discourage you that you do the same. This is a time to take heart. This is a time not to be discouraged. You may have stumbled, get back up. You may have wavered, steady yourself with God's word. If you have fallen, just know that God will forgive and God will receive you, but there must be a genuine turning in your heart to God from your sin. There must be a genuine repentance, and if there is, here's the beauty of it. The Bible says if we confess our sin and forsake it, we'll have what? Mercy. The mercy of God will come into our lives. And we all need it, by the way. Do you live with any misgiving, -misgiving, self-misgiving, self-doubt, fears, worries? See, sometimes if we're not careful, we can get caught up in all of that And then begin to rationalize, justify, excuse, or even blame our actions on our circumstances or on others. And God warns against that. He said, I'm going to judge every man according to the fruit of his doings. Take responsibility for your decisions, even in a time of cloudiness, even in a time of confusion, even in a time of weariness and fear. Wisdom is to know what to do and not to do. To take responsibility for your own actions, this wisdom that we need for that comes from God's word. Proverbs chapter four, verse seven says, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. I read about what most men fear. A noted magazine has a YouTube channel with 4.43 million subscribers. Covers a wide variety of lifestyle topics. And they had an article recently or a video about uh, 70 men ages 5 to 75 were asked, what is your greatest fear? And this had over 84,000 views. Here were the top fears of men. Among them, evil people causing me harm, being alone, dying alone. Death of a loved one. Other fears were listed. But the number one fear, think of this, the number one fear was failing to live up to my potential. Deep in the heart of all men, and I can speak for us, I am one. And I'm sure for ladies is this desire to know God and to know what he wants for our lives and to do that. And I think about this so many times how people either they take so many hits over time, they lose heart. They're just kind of there, but they're not wholly there, you see. They're wavering. They're about to lose heart and give up, take heart. Sometimes people have tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed. Get up one more time than you fall. Take responsibility for your decisions, for your life, for where you go from here because at the end of our lives what we will look back and realize, hey, I only had one life. I couldn't go back and get another life. I can't go back and get a redo. I can't start over, but I can start today and change how I finish this race God has called me to run. And I want God to forgive me, to renew me, to teach me, to be all that God wants me to be because God helping me, I refuse to quit. They said the number one goal of Navy SEALs training is to see what it'll take to get those recruits to quit. And they bear down on them in every way, can you imagine? Have you ever seen some of that training or heard of that? I mean, they just about drown. <laughs> they they are in every kind of environment and they push them to the limit. But here's one thing they said they found in the training of Navy SEALs that when you really believe you're convinced in your mind that you have gone as far as you can go they have studied this and learned that you have at least a 40% capacity to go even further yet isn't that amazing I'm telling you don't let the adversary talk you out of what God has for you for what God has for your family for what God has for this church yet we all are people who failed and come short of the glory of God here, right? The ground is level at the foot of the cross, guilty. But you know what? By faith in Jesus Christ, we can also say forgiven. I'm forgiven. Isn't that right? I'm going to embrace who he is and who he wants me to be yet. And God helping me, I'm going to choose to embrace the words of wisdom from the very heart of God given to me through his word. And I'm going to walk in that light day by day, step by step. These are choices that God wants us to make that we are responsible and accountable to him for. Reaching our potential requires discipline, dedication, and dying to self. Thank you for listening to The Shining Light. We pray that this time has been a time of encouragement and blessing to you. The Shining Light is a production of Shining Light Baptist Church, located at 2541 Old Charlotte Highway in Monroe, North Carolina. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to join us. Service times and more information can be found at our website, www.shininglightmonroe.com. You can also watch our services on Facebook and YouTube, and connect with us on social media. Thank you for joining us, and God bless.